0: Hi, all things to Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. All things impacting global supply chains this week. This is the News Roundup. I'm Tony Hines. Xi Jinping is not likely to attend the G20 meeting in New Delhi, India next month. It was hoped that he would attend, and uh, President Joe Biden has already signaled his intention to attend, and it was seen as an opportunity to actually rebuild Relationships between the two countries. But the news is that Li Qing will represent China in Xi's place. So I'll have to see what happens. But it does look like a missed opportunity to rebuild the bridges, if that's the case. These talks are so important to establish relationships. Vladimir Putin will also not be attending the meeting of the G20 in New Delhi later in the month. Of course, he can't travel freely at the moment and he's got enough on his plate with all the trouble back home. So he sent Sergei Lavrov instead. So both deputies for Russia and China will be in attendance. Well, China is making claims again about the rewriting of the South China Sea. They claim that they've redrawn the map to show sovereignty from China. They say it should be viewed rationally and objectively, The Philippines, Malaysia, Taiwan and Vietnam have rejected as baseless this map, which has been released by China, claiming sovereignty over the South China Sea. China released the map on Monday. It's the famous U-shaped line covering about 90% of the South China Sea and showing China's sovereignty. It's been a source of dispute for many years and it's one of the most contested waterways in the world. And of course, £3 trillion worth of trade passes through this waterway Each year, the Philippines have asked China to act responsibly and abide by the obligations under international law and a 2016 arbitration ruling, which said that the line that China draws in the South China Sea has no legal grounds. Malaysia said it had filed a diplomatic protest over the map. China said it's based on a historic map, but it's not clear which historic map that exactly is. But it stamps authority for China over claims... For claims by Vietnam, the Philippines, Malaysia, Brunei and Indonesia. Amongst the populations that surround that area that's claimed by China. The map apparently is a slightly narrower version of the map that was submitted by China to the United Nations in 2009. That was called the Nine Dash Line Map. The latest map is a broader geographical area which had a line with 10 dashes and includes claims over Taiwan Territory similar to a 1948 map of China. China did publish a map with a 10th dash back in 2013, so they're still trying to claim sovereignty on 90% of the South China Sea. Soaring fuel prices in India, as a result of climate change, which resulted in the driest August in more than a century, have sent the food prices spiralling above 11%. India's a major player in agri-trade globally. Just as tomato prices are cooling down, onions are more expensive. Now because of those food prices in India recently rocketing, and particularly tomatoes, they've dropped them out of some of the menus. And so, for example, if you went along to buy a burger in some of the big retail brands, you might have found that you didn't get tomatoes on your burger. And that's because they've become too expensive. So they just dropped them off the menu. They've risen by... More than 25% since June in the domestic market. And pulses, which are used in lentil soup in dal, are now around 20% more expensive than at the beginning of the year. So, what's happening to the curry? The cost of a regular vegetarian meal has jumped by about a third in the month of July alone. And there are also key state elections that are going to happen across India. The banned wheat exports that we talked about in the last news roundup, And India's announced shortages on basmati rice and generally staple products. The government is being asked to step up its governance of these matters. But of course it's not just India that will feel the pinch from the rise in prices in India. It's likely that food prices elsewhere in the world will also be on the rise. And food inflation has been something that's been problematic in the UK for most of the year. It seems to have settled down a bit. But of course, this volatility in the market globally is bound to have some impact. So food supplies under pressure. Global food prices are historically high and China too has higher food prices. So all these weather pattern changes around the world are playing havoc with our crops, our food and of course, the prices we pay in the shops. Well, workers at a major Tokyo department store were on strike this week, on Thursday. It's because of a planned sale of the company which broke down, and it's caused the first major walkout the country's seen in decades. The workers at the Tokyo department store have gone on strike after talks with management over a planned sale of the company broke down. And this is the first walkout in the country for decades, as we've said. Some 900 workers at the Cebu store, which is in the Ikebukuro district, are protesting at the sale of Sogo and Cebu, a unit of retailer Seven and I to Fortress Investment Group. And I can remember the Sogo store at uh, Piccadilly in London. I remember it opening, and it was very big news for fashion at that time in the 90s. So it's a shame that those companies are being sold off, but it's what happens in business, isn't it? but the workers obviously feel aggrieved about this. Iran has been quite successful in evading US sanctions, despite Washington trying to enforce them. The two countries are seeking better relations. The United States has tried to limit Iran's oil exports since Donald Trump exited a 2015 nuclear accord in 2018 and reimposed sanctions. Against Iran, but the exports have risen during President Joe Biden's term of office, with China being a top buyer, according to industry sources. Iran's oil production increased in August to 3.15 million barrels a day, and that's the highest for about five years. The United States is in talks with Iran over potential agreements whereby US citizens would be released. By the Iranian authorities, and in return, 6 billion US dollars of funds currently frozen in South Korea would be unfrozen. The high oil prices are quite a political risk, apparently, for Joe Biden's November 2024 election. More supply on the global market would keep prices down, so it's important to try and keep those oil prices down so that President Biden can be elected. So all the political shenanigans that go on, they're not necessarily for the benefit of people in the country, but they're for politicians to be elected. Incredible, isn't it, really? The rise in the supply of oil from Iran comes as OPEC+, Plus, which includes OPEC plus Russia and others, is cutting output to support the oil market to try and push the prices upwards. So actually, additional oil from another supply source would be quite welcome, and it would lower the prices on the market. Iceland's government has announced that it will resume hunting fin whales after a two-month halt. But they want to kill them as quickly as possible, apparently, because of new guidelines. Iceland has decided to hunt Finn whales after a 20-year pause. The International Whaling Commission, which is a global body which oversees whale conservation, imposed a moratorium back in 1986 when some of the species came close to extinction. Several are still endangered and on the brink of extinction but Iceland along with Norway and Japan have resumed commercial whaling. Well, a bit of a retrograde step I think this. thought we'd gone beyond this and the complaining bats taking too long to kill the whales because sometimes they were harpooned and it took them hours to actually die and that's not very good is it for animal welfare in any circumstance. That's a bit barbaric. Isn't it time we, as a world community, said no to whaling? The Biden administration in the United States is offering $12 billion in grants and loans to automakers and suppliers to retrofit their plant to produce electric and other advanced vehicles. This was announced by the Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm on Thursday. She said, While we transition to EVs, we want to ensure that workers can transition in place, that there's no worker, no community left behind. Granholm was a former governor of car manufacturing state Michigan. The United Auto Workers Union warned that a rapid change could put thousands of jobs at risk in states such as Michigan. Ohio, Illinois and Indiana. Last week the union voted overwhelmingly in favour of authorising a strike at the Detroit Three Automakers if an agreement over wages and pension plans isn't reached before the current four-year contract expires on the 14th of September. There obviously needs to be a strong union partnership with automakers for things to move forward. President Biden is committed to building a clean energy economy and hopes it will provide a win-win opportunity for both automobile companies and unionised workers, who he said have anchored the US economy for decades. The Biden administration will also offer $3.5 billion of funding to domestic battery manufacturers, according to Granholm. For advanced vehicles, $2 billion in grants will come from the Inflation Reduction Act, passed by... Democrats last year and 10 billion in loans will come forth from the energy department loans program office so there's a lot of funding going into making this transition to evs in the united states in the united kingdom the national grid has said they want to introduce a scheme to pay homes to cut electricity use to help prevent power cuts during the winter it said it follows the success of the service last winter when it was first launched under this demand flexibility service homes that signed up with suppliers were paid usually via money off the bill to turn off appliances such as ovens dishwashers and other high consumption items to lower usage 1.6 million british homes joined the scheme last winter and saved 3,300 megawatt hours of electricity. And that's enough to power 10 million homes. Apparently, it doesn't say for how long, but it powers 10 million homes. The National Grid Electricity System Operator, ESO, said it hopes to expand the number of participants, and it said that 83% of those who took part in the scheme last time would do so again. They said they were satisfied with the way the scheme operated, and thought it worthwhile. ESO is expecting demand to be higher than last year, and they want to make sure that the system is resilient. Otherwise, they said that homes could face three-hour rolling power cuts over the winter period. And it would also lower the need to import gas to secure electricity. They want businesses to be able to sign up to the scheme too, but it has yet to be approved by the regulator And that's Ofgem. So that's an interesting way to try and reduce energy consumption rather than rationing through price. Once the scheme is approved by Ofgem, the energy regulator in the United Kingdom, it's hoped that consumers will sign up to the scheme and reduce their energy consumption. And it's a way for the national grid to manage the energy supply in a different way by reducing people's bills, rather than simply increasing prices. Because they forecast that they might hit snags during the winter period, where there might be power cuts. So they want to avoid the power cuts by encouraging people to use less energy. Well, we all remember, well, not all of us, some of us weren't, weren't around. But certainly back in the 1970s, I can remember signs everywhere to switch off lights and save energy. But today more than ever, I mean, we must consume a lot more energy ...than we did back then... ...even with all the power-saving devices... ...because everybody's charging mobile phones... ...devices... ...and... ...watching TV... ...streaming... ...using appliances in the home... ...which are more energy-consuming... ...than they ever were in the past... ...there's no longer the hand-mangle... ...there's no longer the hand-washing machine... ...or the tub... ...everything runs on electric... ...and it's expensive... ...where will it all stop... In the past few weeks, I've given an update on the Panama Canal situation. And this is because of the falling water levels and the queues of ships. Over 100 ships queuing to get through the canal at any point. And it's taking somewhere between 9 and 12 days to get through the canal. And it should be much faster. And it's all because those ships going through the canal can't sail the waterway because the draft is too low. So the ships are being delayed, and this is a result of climate change, with the water levels falling in the canal, and it's causing major problems. The ships being too heavy, falling low in the water as a result of not sufficient water in the canal means, of course, that some of those ships have to stop and unload cargo so that they can actually move through, and that's all time and delay. And it may cause ships to search out different routes, but of course they can involve miles more of travel. So what can be done about it? Well, something needs to be done to ensure that those water levels are maintained so that traffic can flow through. But I'm not sure what the solution is. I'm just an observer of the problem here. But it's a problem not just occurring in the Panama Canal. It's something that's happened in the German rivers during the past year or so. And so this climate change issue is a real problem for shipping, as well as for everything else. And it could hold up trade, and it could stop supply chains from working efficiently. And of course, the Panama Canal is a major thoroughfare into the United States and out of the United States. So it really is prescient to act to reduce the impact of climate change. Chinese tech company Huawei has launched a new smartphone. The company has been heavily sanctioned by US government restrictions and that's spread elsewhere and they've lost contracts to supply technology to a number of countries in the past couple of years. But they've begun to sell a new phone called the Mate 60 Pro and that sells for about 964 US dollars and it was released on Tuesday. It's a 5G capable phone. From 2019, the United States government stopped access to chip-making tools essential to produce most of the advanced handset models, which meant that the company was only able to sell limited batches of 5G models from the chips it already had at that time. It's been highlighted as a security risk by European countries and the United States, which of course the company denies. But the restrictions have really had a large impact on the business. It was a strong business that competed with Apple and Samsung, but it's really been hit by these chip problems over the past couple of years. It's repeatedly searched for ways to overcome this, and it may be now that they've got the capability to produce their own 5G chips. And that would be a significant advance for Huawei, and a blow to the United States' efforts to limit progress through sanctions, restricting access to that chip technology. The phone contains a new Kirin 9000 processor from Huawei's own high-silicon chip division. And it appears to use advanced technologies from SMIC, according to Dan Hutchison. And he's an analyst with Tech Insights. That's according to Reuters. So, Huawei are fighting back. Well, I don't know where you were in the world this week, but did you see the blue moon? also you might have done it was a magnificent sight in the sky it's not blue of course it's just the moon but it's uh it's called the blue moon because it's the second moon in a in a month and it was full and there were some fantastic photographs i saw and i just digress here because i was so taken with the photography that people with those photographic skills are able to capture and there were some fantastic sights around the world from what i could see Dell Technologies has raised its full year forecast for revenue and profit this week and it says it's benefited from the artificial intelligence boom which has stabilised demand for computer hardware. US unemployment rates have increased to 3.8%. Labour market conditions are said to be easing and there are expectations that the Fed Reserve will not raise interest rates this month. So that will be the first time in a while that interest rates will not have been raised if that's the case. And this might be because, of course, the inflation rate is falling in the United States as a consequence of the actions taken by the Federal Reserve raising interest rates over the past year or so. The US economy created 110,000 fewer jobs than previously reported in June and July. And there have been business closures not previously reported. So, of course, that's one of the impacts of the measures taken to reduce inflation. They can have unintended consequences, such as a downturn in the economy. And that's why many people are fearful for recessions, of course, when these actions are taken by central banks. But generally, the US economy seems to be resilient. Wage growth is slowing as a result of these changes in the labour market, and people, obviously, are keen to hold on to jobs if they've got them already. So the other thing that seems to be happening both in Europe and the United States is that the desire to retire early has waned during the past year as everything's become more expensive and people really want some additional income or to maintain their existing income simply to stay in the game. And so that's a pressure that's also adding to stabilise economies. Now, Tesla shares fell 6% this week, and that's after the automaker said it had raised prices for its Model 3 in China. The launch of the new Model 3 was rolled out in China ahead of the United States, and it's a country in which Tesla plans to increase sales in the next couple of years. The vehicle is built in the Tesla Shanghai plant, and the price is about 12% higher than the previous model sold in China. It will be exported to other Asian countries and to Europe and the Middle East. Raising the base price of the car will help protect margins. But the price cuts for premium cars highlights the intense competition that these EV makers are facing. And that's especially the case in China, where the competition is fierce. So this could generate a price war amongst leading players in the country as they compete for market share. And of course, getting that market share is important. It's important to acquire the market share, to get scale, and to get a foothold in the market. So it remains to be seen whether Tesla can do that through this strategy. There was a contraction in British manufacturing last month, and it's the first since the COVID-19 lockdowns. The S&P Global Uncharted Institute of Procurement and Supply's final purchasing managers' index for the sector dropped from 45.3 points in July to 43 points last month, and that's the worst since May 2020. It's the 13th month in a row that the PMI has been below the 50 mark, which denotes growth. But the reading is better than what the city expected. The first estimate was around 42.5 percent, so it's up on that. So it's. Uh, half a point up, 43 points. And what's happening in the markets, of course, is that companies are pulling back, they're not spending as much because of the higher borrowing costs with the interest rates being so high. And of course, the general cost, inflation, there's also an expected fall in demand and a slowdown in the world economy, with China undergoing some slowdown and downturn. So while services are growing, accounting for about 80% of GDP in the UK, the manufacturing sector is retrenching. Major UK fashion retailer Next has taken a, an increased stake in Reese. It's invested £90 million for a bigger share of that chain. It's taken the shareholding in Reese from 51% to 72%. Next originally took a share in Reese during the pandemic, and it was the first acquisition since it bought Lipsy. In 2008, the terms of the deal with Reese were that they moved the online operations wholly to Next platform. And it's a big move for Next because they're selling third-party brands now on the line. So it's extended their reach and obviously given them a new opportunity in the marketplace. It's also done particularly well under the leadership of Christos Angelidis, who left Next in 2014 after 28 years of working alongside Lord Wolfson. In the year to January 28th, Reese's sales rose by just over a quarter to 325 million, and its pre tax profits increased to 51.6 million, which is just over half of the previous profit level. Reese was founded in 1971. It runs 266 stores in 18 countries. Now, this is just an update on the Wilco deal in the UK that I reported in the News Roundup last week and the week before. You'll remember the company went into administration and 12,500 jobs were under threat and about 400 store closures could be on the cards. Well, there's been negotiations. The administrators, PwC, have been talking with HMV owners and thousands of jobs might be saved if that can go through. It's expected to go through in the next day or two. It's already had some redundancies in the warehouse and central office areas as a result of the administration. But the HMV offer could keep about eight or 9,000 jobs, and it could keep about 300 of the 400 stores in the group. It's reported that Doug Putman, a 39-year-old Canadian businessman who owns music retailer HMV in the UK and Toys R Us in Canada, is the front-runner in a last-minute rescue deal. But many jobs are still at risk, and 269 support centre workers in WorkSop, Nottinghamshire, and Newport, South Wales, will have their last day in the business on Monday. So it's still a sad outcome for this one-time successful retailer. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Tony Hines, I'm signing off, and I'll see you next time. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, written, presented and produced by Tony Hines. Hi, I'm Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage.